0: welcome everyone to this Intralingo Spotlight. I'm Lisa Carter, your host, founder and creative director of Intralingo. Uh, We are so happy to be featuring JL Powers today. So welcome, Jessica. Hi. (laughs) It's so good to have you here. Yeah, so Jessica, you are you're an author, and we're going to be talking about two of your books today, primarily Underwater, um, but also the prequel to that. Uh, You're also a publisher at Catalyst Press. You are an editor at Cinco Puntos Press. Um, You're an advocate for diversity in children's literature. Uh, and I saw that just a couple of weeks ago, Publishers Weekly um, named you as one of their MVPs, so congratulations on all of that.
1: Thank you. That was a surprise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful surprise. Yeah, so what, what would you say is the core of all of your work? Like it's, it's very disparate, but it's all related. How do you describe uh, what you're about in your work? Well, um,
1: you know, I had an experience as a child of intense fear. I grew up in a religious household and, um, around the time I was nine or 10, I ended up having, you know, intense fears that demons were going to come and possess me. And this went on for a period of about 10 or 15 or sorry, 10 or 15 months, maybe a year and a half or so. And, um, what saved me were books. I learned to, um, you know, read until very late at night. I'd wait until my parents went to bed. I was just sort of kind of holding on, like praying, because again, I was deeply religious. Um, And I would um, pray until they went to sleep. And then I would get up and I would read until I was exhausted, usually until two or three in the morning. And I was reading probably 20 books a month or, you know, 20 books a week, sorry, um, period. And um, my mother had no idea what I was going through. Um, I didn't really talk to her about it. But as a result, you know, I became this intense reader and books literally saved me. They catapulted me out of who I the the fear I was experiencing as a person and into the realm of these other worlds where um, I could be safe. And um, I think that that legacy of books as a safe place Mm. has always stayed with me. And books as, I mean, salvation is not, um, you know, too much for me to say like books is a form of salvation Mm. Um, sounds a little bit over the top to a lot of people but um, but to me I fundamentally see books as a transformative um, force in the world in ways that um, other things are not because they engage the mind and the imagination and the emotions in you know I mean movies I don't think engage us in quite the same way music doesn't even though I believe those are also transformative Um, things in the world um, but books I think are are you know much more much bigger elements Um, and so that's what I bring to my work um, is you know this this belief in books as a change um, as a force for change in the world. Wow
0: that is fantastic that is um, I think it is well particularly insightful about you and your work but also just in terms of the world we live in today which is surrounded by we are surrounded by so much fear um, so much division and I couldn't agree more about the transformative power of books and honestly it is why I'm doing what I'm doing as well um, to to find ways to open us all up to the bigger world uh, without being afraid of it right hmm that's fantastic so the book that um, we're talking about today primarily is underwater it's the second book in a series as far as I know only two there it is lovely and um, uh, it it's preceded by this thing called The Future. And Kosi is our protagonist. She is a teenager and young woman in South Africa in Mbali, a township. Um, I read this thing called The Future just a little over a year ago. And... Uh, Kosi has stayed with me actually ever since and so when I learned just a little while ago, a month or so ago that Underwater uh, was available, you had published it, uh, I was so excited to to follow Kosi's story and to see what became of her Um, and I understand that that was the case for you as well, you hadn't intended to follow her story.
1: No, I wrote the first book with a lot of fear and trembling because it's not something that I um, take lightly. The um, task of writing a character who is not from my culture. um, And um, so that was something that I never actually intended to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, in graduate school and, and working very hard in my Graduate studies of African history and um, the Zulu language and things, and I, I ended up, you know, writing the book and thinking this will all only ever be for me. But, um, but I ended up, you know, publishing it, and and I thought that was it. I um, did write another book set in Somalia, um, a book that was commissioned and was received very, very well by the Somali community as well. And I I thought maybe again, that was it. Um, Because again, it's something that you do with fear and trembling and, and, you know, the gods were with me in the first (laughs) two that I did. Um, And I thought, okay, never again. But uh, in the (laughs) end, I just couldn't leave Kosi alone. Um, She is part of my heart and, and I had some kids asking, they wanted to know what happens to Kosi, what happens to her relationship with little man. And, um, so I ended up writing this. It took a while, mm-hmm. uh, because of all the other things that I have going on, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's, uh, you can see my child in the background.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I can see the mirror. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay,
1: so yeah, so I ended up writing the second one. I wanted to explore other themes of um, that were in South Africa. When I wrote the first one, I was, the AIDS crisis was very heavy on my heart, but the more time I've spent in Southern Africa, the AIDS crisis, as big as it is, has kind of receded um, into a less important part of my, um, you know, thoughts and other things like just the daily violence that people endure um, and that young women endure became a much bigger um, issue for me and then the xenophobic violence that occurs in South Africa as native South Africans grapple with the ramifications of being um, a center that is attractive to refugees and immigrants from all over the continent Um, which is similar to, you know, th- issues that Americans also grapple with. And um, so I wanted to explore those issues and, and I ended up doing it with Kosi because I knew her so very well. And there will be a third one, uh, but I haven't started it yet. And I don't know what it will deal with, but it will continue her
0: story wonderful i'm so glad to hear that you you say so much there that that i want to follow up on absolutely and and let's just start with um as you say your own connection to africa and south africa in particular it, it started as a as a study for you um, then you went to south africa to study the zulu language is that right Yeah, well,
1: my connection to Africa went a lot deeper than that. And earlier, um, the summer I turned 19, I went to work with street uh, youth and children in Nairobi and discovered at that time when I told my parents and my dad got this, I, you know, described this to a lot of people, but it's still true. Um, And it never gets old telling it. He got this far away nostalgic look in his eyes. And he said, did you know that you were conceived in northern Kenya on the shores of Lake Turkana? Wow. (laughs) So, you know, my life literally began in easternmost Africa on the border of Kenya and Ethiopia. Um, And, you know, I worked with street youth that summer and came home and didn't necessarily expect to return or have Africa be the focus of my life but um, as I continued in graduate school and writing um, I fell in love with African history so I did go on to graduate studies and that's what brought me back um, through a Fulbright and then um, through you know my research and then just through my writing and eventually through my publishing activities Um, and just the intense relationship connections that I have there now Mm -hmm. um, those are family in nature. They are not, um, you know, they're complex and they're deep and they're ongoing and cannot be cut off. And um, it would be like cutting off a branch of my family. So um, that's that's it in a nutshell. But really, that encapsulates, you know, I'm 45, so 45 years of history, mm-hmm. <laughs> although 25 of intensive. Um, contacts. You know? Yeah,
0: that's a long time. And you know, it, it really does come through. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not African, and I, I can't speak to that either. But you know, I have been and um, Kosi herself like is is such a, and everything that you talk about in underwater is, um, is universal, but yet at the same time, so unique particularly, as you say, to South Africa at this time, um, because it does deal with all of these complex issues uh, of violence and xenophobia and immigration and um, and poverty. You know, a lot of this stems from, from poverty. Um, yeah, it, I think it is, as you say, also, it's universal because it's not themes that we're not familiar with in North America either. Mm-hmm. Right. What does this context um, add to it for a North American reader?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, so I was a professor for many, many years and one of the things that I discovered um, was that people need a safe place to talk about issues that are deeply relevant to them and one of the ways to achieve that especially with issues that are um, you know, potentially divisive and explosive, is to talk about them in a context that is completely apart from the one that um, you have to deal with. And so I think that for a North American audience, this is a way to talk about immigration, um, why immigrants from poorer countries or war-torn countries or countries torn apart by gang violence and, and the like might be attracted to a region of relative economic stability and relative um, safety, although South Africa is much more violent than the United States, but still has this legacy of, um, you know, economic stability and um, and when, and also xenophobic violence and and racism. And when we take it out of the context of the familiar, and you know what we might um, rub up against in our daily lives that can can cause a lot of tension and conflict, we're able to discuss it a little bit more safely and and look at it. I think a little bit, um, you know, more boldly. And in fact, when I first wrote this thing called the future. Um, a dear friend of mine who actually took the photos for both this thing of the young woman, um, on this thing called the future and on underwater, I didn't, don't have a copy mm. called the future on me right now, but, um, he, he works in publishing and is and is in fact, um, works for the distributor who now distributes my books that I publish through catalyst press throughout Southern Africa. And he told me at the time, this is. Such a wonderful novel, but right at the moment, it would be competing against a lot of books about AIDS that are poorly written, and people have AIDS fatigue, like young people have AIDS. Right. They don't want to talk about it anymore. This is not, you know, unfortunately, yours rises, rises above the pack in terms of how it deals with it, but it's just not a good time to release it. Well, that was in 2011, and we just released it in South Africa along with Underwater, it's getting a wonderful reception now and and that's because there's been a little space in time where can mm. breathe and, and look at it and the same is true for you know any of these other issues is that sometimes some issues are just a little too close to the surface and people can't look at them or they're just a little too familiar and too close to the heart, and people can't look at them mm. and and so I think that my books bring these relevant topics to us but from a you know located in a place that's entirely separate and people i hope young people teachers and others can examine the topics without the level of conflict and tension that they might if you know i was writing about um immigrants from Central America and Mexico, which, you know, by the way, I do publish books like that in Punto. Yes. So I think those are also very important, but um, but we need to sometimes a little bit of distance.
0: Yeah, that's really fantastic. It's not something I had ever thought about in terms of books or, or- publishing I mean we certainly know that in conversation with others you know when anything is too close emotions rise and it is hard to get points across but that is so interesting that also this thing called the future has now been released in South Africa because it's just time and uh, it, it can be read now that's great so um, I would love for you to read the beginning of Underwater so we get a sense of Kosi and who she is and uh, what's about to happen.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to read chapter one. It's a very short chapter. Yes. <laughs> so be, you know. <laughs> That's right. Oh, ah, oh, no, it's going to be a long thing. Um, so chapter one, And this happened three years ago, so three years before the main start of the novel. So chapter one, three years ago. I don't know how or when the Amadlozi choose someone, if you are destined from birth, or if at some point when you are growing, they notice something, they point to it. They say, there, there, right there, that one. She is meant for us. She will be our voice to the people chosen. Chosen means you don't choose. Somebody else chooses for you. In this case, all the people who come before you, your ancestors, your mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers, all the greats backing up for all of time to the beginning of earth. They will not give up until you answer, and your answer must be yes, or you will go crazy. Mina, I was chosen three years ago. Mama was dying of the disease of these days. A neighbor sent a witch to curse us. A man was stalking me. And through all of that, they came, they spoke. Hamba, they said, hamba. They spoke the same word over and over until I obeyed, until I started walking. Not in any particular direction, just wherever they said to go. Here, there, a circuitous journey, that finally led me right back to my home here in Imbali, the place of flowers. They led me to the mountains. I scaled boulders, slipped on icy slopes, froze fingers. They led me deep inside a bowl of sandstone rock that looked as though only the Lord of the skies could live there in its cold, barren beauty. I soaked in its silence until they led me out again. They led me into the forest. I sat at the foot of a tree for days, waiting. I didn't even know what I was waiting for. But then the trees spoke, not with human voices, but something deeper that I felt through the earth and the trunk and the leaves. They told me which plants could heal bronchitis, which could give the sick an appetite, which could cure depression and loneliness. I gathered winter herbs, crushed and dried them, and stored them in bags that hung from the belt slung around my waist and then they led me to the river, the Tukela. It was swollen with spring rains, the waters choppy, angry. I sat on the edge, knowing I could not cross. I do not know how to swim, and what about the crocodiles? This is what I told Mkulu, the ancestor who first called me, the one who spoke to me more than any other. I imagined myself flailing around, sucked under, water filling my lungs, choking me, perhaps a crocodile grabbing me with its powerful teeth and making a meal of me. Step into the water, Nkulu said. I sat very still in disbelief. Go into the water, he said. I will drown, I said. You will not drown. Tiny drops of water flipped up from the swirling rapids and rained down on me. A giant rapid swooshed directly toward me and drenched me. I retreated. It was almost as if The longer I sat there, the angrier the water grew. And then it was swelling and growing, overflowing its banks, little rivulets reaching me where I stood. Go into the water, he said. I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared that this might be the way I die. That after burying Mama, after leaving Gogo and Zee behind for this journey, that I might be saying goodbye forever that my crazy, rabid ancestors were actually out to kill me. A snorting, shuffling sound from behind, hot breath on my ankles, a crocodile lumbering toward the water, toward me. Dear God, hopefully it isn't hungry, I prayed. I hoped it wouldn't follow me into the water because that was where I was going, even if I didn't want to. The water was ice cold. Bumps sprang up all over my skin. The crocodile let loose a long, low growl. I was in as deep as my waist, hesitating. You didn't have to send a crocodile to push me in, Mkulu. It opened its mouth, snapped its teeth. Or maybe you did. I wanted to believe I wasn't afraid of death. After all, I had seen my mama cross the river and join the Amadlozi on the other side. The ancestors, so numerous they were like a herd of black and white striped amadube crossing the plains. They welcomed her with joyous cries. My very bones were certain of this truth, that death is just the next thing after this thing. But still. Mkulu, I said, as the crocodile nudged me deeper into the watery depths. I'm not ready to die. And that's hmm.
0: chapter one. That's chapter one. Yeah, so Kosi is 17, I think, at this point in the book. Um, She has been through so much. She has lost her mother to AIDS. uh, As we learn very soon in this book, she has now lost her grandmother. So she is responsible for her younger sister, Z, Um, And she is responsible for a lot more because as that chapter introduces, she has been chosen um, to become a Sangoma. It's a lot of responsibility uh, for a young woman, and yet she is still just a young woman. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that many young, um, so you can be called at any stage of life to be a Sangoma um, for those of, you know, who are called to it, but many times it does occur when people are young.
0: hmm and this notion of sangoma, I mean, it is still a relevant, a, a healer, a wise woman is still a relevant role in, in South African and Zulu society today, is it not?
1: It's not just relevant, it's um, crucial and pivotal. And I think that it's impossible actually to understand um, rural or urban communities of Africans of any ethnic heritage um, in South Africa and actually around the continent without understanding the role the pivotal role that these healers play um they they are the pulse of the community um if you want to know what's happening in any community you must speak to the sangomas mm-hmm. um they may not tell you but um mm-hmm. but that is where the knowledge lies of what what's going on in the community um because they are much more than just um, herbalists and doctors, although they do perform those roles. Um, they are also spiritual healers, and they are the guardians, kind of, of um, tradition and uh, morals of the community. And um, and so, and and they are the the guardians too of conflict. So when people, um, th- this was a really intriguing concept to me and also something that it, you know, I kind of fell in love with is that, um, the Zulu people understand conflict as an illness. It is not simply, um, you know, some external thing. It is actually an illness. And, um, and so to be healed, is also a communal thing too so you may go to a sangoma about an issue that is a conflict in nature and for healing to occur there must be restoration within the community and so sangomas also play a role in resolving communal conflicts in, in, and this in familial conflicts
0: as well So they, ha- they play a very important role. <laughs> Yeah. And that, that adds so much depth to everything that happens to Kosi in this book, because she is the focal point of a lot of conflict within her family, within the community. Um, She is to play this pivotal role, but she's new and everyone still sees her as being very young uh, and they don't quite trust her. Some do, but not all. Um, uh, that really adds a, a, a layer to how we see Kosi, <clears throat> excuse me, as she um, takes her first steps as a Sangoma. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, she, I mean, she is uncertain, but she's learning um, mm-hmm. to trust, trust her ancestors, even when they ask her to do things that seem, um, you know, not right <laughs> somehow. Um, and. And of course, as a young person and as a new sangoma, um, and as a sangoma who's speaking out against norms in the community that people want to keep, particularly the xenophobic violence, he is seen as a threat. And I think that that's true. You know, there are sangomas often who are seen as threats, and it can make it difficult for them to practice their craft. Um, you mm-hmm. know, creating a very difficult path. Um, <laughs> So I don't think, you know, she's that unusual in that regard. Any Sangoma who speaks out against things in the community that people want to keep as norms um, can be ostracized or, um, you know, sometimes dealt with harshly.
0: Right. And, and... Kosi does take on that political sort of role as well about the violence in the community, also in terms of the taxi wars that are going on, which her, her boyfriend is involved in.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, um, Sangomas sometimes, you know, I mean, just to speak broadly about Sangoma, Sangomas sometimes make a choice and, you know, they don't always make the choice to speak For truth, but sometimes to speak for tradition. And Kosi is actively questioning tradition, right? She's she's not wanting simply to adhere to what her elders say is correct and right. Um, She's wanting to see things change. And that was true in the first book as well. Um, She felt called to be a Sangoma, but she also wanted to be a nurse. Um, she, She loved science. And she wanted to find a way to kind of marry medical knowledge with um, the healing arts of being a Sangoma and, and hearing the voices of the ancestors. And so I think that that's continued here in this book where she is questioning um, certain traditions that may actually be harmful to her community. and. Um, at the same time, wanting to honor those that are not. And so she's in a very difficult
0: position. Um, yeah. yeah, she absolutely is. <clears throat> and uh, I love also the, the sort of circular structure of the novel in that it begins as she tells us about her original uh, message from the ancestors, which is to run, to go, uh, which she does, and she's forced into the water. And the book ends with that as well. She is also told again by the ancestors to run, to go. Um, and water is this powerful element, as, as the title would suggest, Underwater. Um, so in some ways, so much has progressed. And yet we're, we're back at the beginning again. A whole new phase is about to start for Kosi's life.
1: Well, you know, she has this moment early on where she's... Um, you know, she's talking with a Somali immigrant and he had been a medical doctor in his old country and now he owns a small tuck shop and he sells cigarettes and oranges and, and soda pop. Um, You can tell my parents were from the Midwest.
0: Um, (laughs) It's good. I'm Canadian.
1: (laughs) um, And, you know, I mean, he feels, you know, it's difficult for him And, you know, Kosi reminds him that his role is still an important role in the community, but for her, she's also thinking, what is it like to have to leave everything behind in order to be safe, in order, um, you know, to save your life? And she has to endure that at the very end, right? She has to flee for her very life. And so she actually experiences what the Somali immigrant had to experience leaving his war-torn country. And I I think that... um, you know, most of us don't have to put ourselves quite in the shoes of other people in that way, but it, you know, there's there's all of these sayings, right? You know, walk in another, you know, walk in another person's shoes or moccasins for so many miles before you judge them or, um, and I think that we can all do that and we all should do
0: that. Mm, I couldn't agree more, absolutely. Well, you've taken us really to um, a place many of us have never been in, in Kosi's story. Uh, and yet, as I said, at the same time, it's extremely universal. Um, there's so much for any one of us as a reader to discover in this book and to talk about. Um, it's, really, um, it's really rich and deep, um, and yet it's, it's, it's written for young adults it is um very accessible what would you hope that readers will take away from this
1: cool. i get asked that question a lot and i never <laughs> quite know how to answer it um and uh, apologies that that little ding came through um i thought i had turned everything off and i don't worry um so um I never quite know what to say. I guess, you know, I mean, I love South Africa so much and um, I love the African continent so much and I love Africans so much. And I guess I just would love to invite people in to experience the beauty and the richness, but um, also the harshness, you know, Um, and, and, and see something other than what they see on the media Um, and I guess that that would be true for me also with the books that I publish, um, both for Catalyst Press and for Cinco Puntos. Um, but ultimately too, I guess I would like for people to recognize that the conflicts that we have here are not unique. Um, they may be particular and specific to our situation, but they are faced by people all over the world. And, um, you know, other people have found ways of dealing with it sometimes in healthy ways and sometimes not in such healthy ways. and we can learn a lot if we remove ourselves from our own context and begin to consider the ways other people are addressing these same issues um, that, we, that, that that might give us a new perspective on our own um, on our own country, our own community, our own family. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Yeah, wonderful. I think it can't help but do that, you know, because that's exactly the purpose. As we started talking about at the beginning of books of literature, they, they take us places that, you know, we can't necessarily go. um, And yet they allow us to reflect on our own environment and world and come to terms with all of it. Mm -hmm absolutely yeah well thank you so much jessica for for the book underwater for um this thing called the future as well i personally will be waiting with bated breaths for the next book <laughs> with Kosi. Yeah. um yeah thank you for all of the books that you publish as well We will uh, make sure to include your full bio and links in the show notes so that everyone watching knows how to find you and your work um, and read the books and, uh, as you say, experience uh, a piece of the world that you love so much. Thank you yeah wonderful thank you to everyone for watching um i really do hope you enjoyed this spotlight Uh, it would be greatly appreciated uh, if you would like um, share um, subscribe to the channel uh, so that we can continue to bring you more authors and books from around the world